Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn why it took more than 70 years to guarantee eight-hour workdays in the U.S., why people like you more than you probably think, and how tomato plants defend themselves with an electric shock. Let's satisfy some curiosity. It's becoming increasingly clear that when it comes to work, quantity does not necessarily equal quality. Some are even pushing to shorten our five-day work week to four days. But once upon a time in the United States, even a five-day work week was considered short. And it took us more than 70 years for it to become the standard. And what better time to talk about this saga than on Labor Day? At the peak of the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century, people were working 80 to 100 hours per week. Even kids were pulling backbreaking hours in mines, on farms, and in factories where the conditions were often dangerous. Activists and labor unions began organizing for better conditions, including a shorter workday. The creation of the eight-hour workday is credited to a Welsh labor activist named Robert Owen. He called for eight hours labor, eight hours recreation, and eight hours rest for workers in 1817. His idea eventually came to the U.S., and in 1866, the National Labor Union called on Congress to make the eight-hour workday law. They didn't, but support for the idea grew, and in 1869, President Ulysses S. Grant made it happen for federal employees. The eight-hour workday became law in Illinois in 1886, but many employers refused to comply. In response, thousands of workers went on strike and turned out to protest in Chicago. Things turned violent when someone threw a bomb at police officers who came to break up the peaceful rally. Dozens were hurt, and somewhere between 11 and 15 people died. This incident was known as the Haymarket Affair, and it stalled progress for a while. Little by little, individual companies and industries picked up the slack. Two major printing firms instituted an eight-hour workday in 1906. Then Congress did the same for interstate railroad workers in 1916. Then in 1926, Henry Ford instituted the 40-hour workweek in his factories. He hoped workers would spend money during their time off. Because, you know, that was before you could just pull your phone out of your pocket and buy something online during your lunch break. Well, finally, the Fair Labor Standards Act made the eight-hour workday federal law in 1940. And you know, 2021 may mark the next big milestone. Today's employees are calling for all kinds of flexibility in the wake of COVID-19. For some, that means setting their own hours, working outside the traditional office, or having a shorter work week altogether. Icelandic workers got a shot at a shorter week in two trials that took place over the last decade. More than 2,500 workers had their hours reduced with no loss of pay. Some spread their 36 hours across four and a half, eight hour days, and others worked four, nine hour days per week. And many reported greater productivity and better work life balance. So maybe one day, our 40 hour week will seem barbaric. Until then, thank the American labor movement for getting us this far. 
It was not an easy battle. Do you ever have the feeling that your friends like you a lot less than you like them? Most people have this experience sometimes, and new research suggests that it begins at a very young age. This perception that you like your friends more than they like you actually has a name. Psychologists call it the liking gap. It's a common and well-studied phenomenon in adults, but recently, a group of researchers from Duke University performed an experiment to see how early in life liking gaps begin to form. For the study, the team recruited 241 children, all between 4 and 11 years old. The children worked in pairs to build a tower out of blocks. After they played, the researchers asked each child to rate how much they liked their new playmate and then asked them how much they thought their playmate liked them. A distinct pattern came out of those ratings. The youngest participants, the four-year-olds, they thought their playmate liked them about the same amount that they liked their playmate. But the five-year-olds thought they liked their playmate more than their playmate liked them. They showed a liking gap. That gap became even wider the older the children were. So why would the liking gap appear at age five? Well, the researchers think it's because that's when we begin to be aware of other people's feelings, and in turn, their impressions of us. Children at that age might begin to sense that the child building the tower with them might only be pretending to like them to make a good impression, as opposed to actually enjoying their company. They're less sure about how other people feel about them. And the older we get, the more uncertain other people's feelings become. The take-home message here is that we all tend to experience the liking gap from time to time. You're not alone in those feelings. But now that you know this, it's good to remember that the opposite is likely to be true. People tend to like you much more than you think they do. Tomatoes are tasty, but that doesn't mean they want to be eaten. In fact, when insects munch on them, tomatoes sound an alarm that alerts the rest of the plants to the attack. And by alarm, I mean an electric jolt. Here's the shocking story. For being so quiet, plants communicate a lot. I mean, sure, they don't talk, but they have no problem sending messages. This is especially true when they're stressed out. And being eaten by caterpillars is certainly stressful. But communication doesn't just happen between plants. It also happens within plants, like from the parent's plants to a fruit. Scientists usually assume that this is a one-way line of communication. The parent plant often pumps nutrients and hormones into the fruit, but there hasn't been much evidence that the fruit sends anything back. Well, researchers at the Federal University of Pelotas in Brazil have discovered that, at least for tomato plants, that communication goes both ways. They found this in an experiment that involved mounting little electrodes around a tomato plant and placing it in a cage that shielded it from electrical interference. When a caterpillar took a bite of a tomato, the tomato didn't just sit and take it. Instead, it screamed out with an electric shock that traveled through the entire plant. It was a strong enough shock that it made it all the way to the leaves on other branches. That jolt wasn't just a scream into the void either. The shock jump-started production of chemicals like hydrogen peroxide that the plants can use to defend itself against more insect attacks in different places on the plant. 
So, is this evidence that plants feel pain? Well, not quite. As far as we know, a brain is necessary to process pain. This type of communication is much more similar to a reflex, like pulling your hand away from something hot, which happens independently of your brain. But make no mistake, if a plant is under attack, it'll fight back, even if it can't make like a tree. And get out of there! <laughs> back to the future, right? I really like Back to the Future. Like, a lot. All right, well, let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Starting with the fact that it took the United States more than 70 years to finally make the five-day, 40-hour workweek federal law. Years before, workers had been doing 80 to 100-hour weeks, and it took decades of strikes and labor activism to finally get Congress to pass the Fair Labor Standards Act in 1940. There were actually songs written about the eight-hour workday in the eras that we talked about, and you can hear one of them. You can just click the link in the show notes to find it. Didn't Dolly Parton have a really famous one? <laughs> she did, but I don't think I don't think nine to five was written during the big era of labor activism for the eight-hour workday. I think the eight-hour workday was already established when Dolly Parton wrote nine to five. Well, sure, she still wrote one. <laughs> she did. She did. It is an excellent labor anthem. I, I mean, I know all the words. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a rung on the boss man's ladder, Cody. Wow. Yeah. Way to pull that one out. <laughs> Good times. Well, we also learned that the perception that people like you less than you like them is called the liking gap. And it's a super common experience. New research shows that it starts in children as young as five and that's probably because kids at that age are starting to be aware of other people's feelings and in turn, their impressions of us. Unfortunately, we just get more uncertain of those feelings and our liking gap gets wider the older we get. The good news is that people probably like you more than you think they do. Dude, I was shocked when you asked me to officiate your wedding. I remember that. <laughs> like... Really shocked. Uh, and like, I wasn't, I wasn't. Like, there was some kind of cerebral level that's like, okay. But yeah, no, it was to still just, no, it was totally shocking. I mean, yeah, I, I'm very bad about that. Like, I just assume, like, in every friend group, I assume I'm the least liked friend every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> and I think I really was in elementary school. And so it like it all goes back to that. You know, I mean, so many of the ways that we interact with the world is like goes back to childhood. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's just let's just have a therapy session with me. How about that? Can I just like lie back and tell you about my childhood? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Also from the writer for this story, Cameron Duke, he mentioned that this is relevant. How could I have not thought of this myself? A quote from Bilbo Baggins from The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. He said, and I quote, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like. And I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Unquote. Eternal words. So eternal. I actually quoted, <laughs> I was going to say Dumbledore. I actually quoted Gandalf in my sister's wedding ceremony. What did you say? The quote was from Gandalf. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. That's a great quote for a wedding. Thank you. Also, those books are so good. Yeah. <laughs> I need to reread all of them. Oh, they're so much better than the movies. They're so much. It's like night and day. Like the movies are fine, but 
The books are next level. It's been a long, long time. I, I was a kid when I read them. You want, can we talk about me as a kid still? No. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, we moved on. <laughs> and we learned that if a tomato plant is under attack by a caterpillar, the tomato will sound the alarm by sending out an electric shock into the rest of the plant. That alarm tells the plant to start making chemicals it can use to defend itself against further attacks. Plants, plants, I'm telling you, they're amazing. They do so much more than we give them credit for. They're not just like motionless, like barely living things that just sit and don't interact with the world. They they can sense vibration, which, you know, includes sound. They can sense light which is kind of like being able to see stuff almost, you know, if you think about it. And they have these little chemical messengers that they send to other plants and to themselves. Well, as far as these tomatoes go, I just hope that Dr. Putrid T. Gangrene doesn't learn about this ability. Who is what? Hmm? Dr. Gangrene was the villain in Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the animated series. Got it. I remember that. There's a deep cut for the three people that might get that reference. The people who are exactly our age will get that reference. Yeah. And exactly as nerdy as me. (laughs) Today's writers were Steffi Drucker and Cameron Duke. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. If you've got a minute, please tweet at Ashley and tell her how much you like her. She could use it. She needs the support. (laughs) I'm just going to assume you're being nice. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I know how you can show Ashley that you like her. You can join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. Acceptable. Then until then, stay curious. Stay curious.